Shumrabyug. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Sherlock. Sure listen, the podcast that takes a pop at culture. Sherlock, sure listen. Sherlock, sure listen. Sherlock, sure listen. Sherlock, sure listen. Sherlock. Sure listen. Sherlock, sure listen. Sherlock, sure listen. Oh, very good, Benjamin. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. As we famously say here at the podcast, everybody's podcast is someone's podcast for everyone. But sure, listen. Now that's your bit. But sure, look, we don't have time for new phrases, Ben, because we have to look at some stuff. Very sadly, uh, a legend of the genre of film and television world has died this week. Also, things are not looking very good for Shazam 2. But... On the brighter side, we've seen trailers for Beef, or as the French call it, Le Bouffe, and Mrs. Davis and Worlds Collide, Ben. Sure, listen, Michael, if that wasn't enough, and it really isn't to keep our weekly pop culture podcast afloat, we're going to be taking a look at martial arts and crafts, Michael. Martial arts and crafts. We're going to be... Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you know this, but we have a resident badass on the podcast. It's Ben. It's me. It's yeah. me. Shock. <laughs> Sleeper build. Uh, no, it's not. I couldn't fight my way out of a wet paper bag after a year of training, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just no good at it. Michael here used to, back in the day, ladies and gentlemen, it wasn't John Wick. It was bloody Michael. That's Michael who it was. Michael Wick. That's who you called. Michael Wick over there. Old uh, Baba Gaga over there himself. He'd uh, you'd basically, you, you didn't want to have a run in with one of his cats, ladies and gentlemen, because he'd get his old bloody Golf 208 out of the garage and he'd, <laughs> he'd hunt you down. <laughs> he'd hunt you down. Call I like Baba Gaga, Ben. It sounds like I beat people up like like John Wick, but dressed in drag like Lady Gaga. I think you'd make a mint doing that, Michael. The, the world's first, the world's first um, <laughs> drag assassin. Yeah, let's do it, Baba Gaga. Oh ma, oh ma ma. But ladies and gentlemen, way back in the early days of this particular podcast, we did an episode on the best fight scenes. And we thought, ladies and gentlemen, it was time for a sprucing of that bit. Because we've had a lot of great fight scenes since then, and some not-so-great fight scenes since then. So we're going to do a little review of uh, movie scrapping. Going to do a little review of movie scrapping. But before we do, Ben, there was some very tragic news this week. As icon of genre TV and film, Lance Reddick died at the tragically young age of 60. Michael, I couldn't believe it when I heard this. This is awful news. This is genuinely terrible news. Very bad and very upsetting news. And I'm, for one, completely against it. I, uh, 10 out of 10, would not vote again, um, Michael. D- didn't didn't want this to happen at all. So shocking, Michael. 60. Uh, 60, very young. Very, very young. And the funny thing about Lance Reddick, Ben, is he... I mean, he's a lifelong actor, obviously, but like some of of the greats, he came into public prominence relatively late in his life. So he's only really been about in the public consciousness for about 20 years. So he probably feels even younger than he is to us. Yeah, Lieutenant uh, Lieutenant Cedric Daniels, Michael, is one of the key performances of the phenomenal series that is The Wire. And uh, it, I think that was kind of the thing that catapulted him forward, so to speak. Oh, very much uh, so. Michael, what a presence. The man The man was gravitas embodied. The man was 
the, the the epitome of don't fuck with me energy. Yes, <laughs> it, don't it, it, don't you dare try and fuck with me. Look how straight I stand. You, yeah, it's look not at going my to posture. Be, look at my posture. Look how straight I'm sitting up. You do not want to mess with someone who sits up that straight. You don't. It, it won't end well. Do you know the only person that the uh, famed drag assassin Baba Gaga would never go after was Lance Reddick? Yeah, not any of the characters he played. The actual actor Lance Reddick. The actual just, actor Lance Reddick. His presence Michael, was too intimidating. Too intimidating, Michael. And, you know, he really he really enjoyed playing with that public perception of him because we used to get bizarre, funnier die shorts like uh, Toys R Us, where Lance Reddick played a Toys R Us employee. Um, who was just completely unhinged. And, oh, very good. Uh, yeah, it's important to have a sense of humour about yourself. And it, boy, did he! So, I mean, Lieutenant Cedric Daniels, Michael, is is one key character. He was also Michael, and very, very appropriate for this episode. He was the receptionist in John Wick for yes. the the Assassin Hotel. Yes, he was Sharon or Charon. I can't remember how they pronounce it in the movies. I can't remember the exact phrasing for it, but yeah, he was in that as well. And Michael, a very, very prominent voice actor. Yes, Man. very popular. He was in the video game Destiny, Ben, one of your favourites. In the video game Destiny, Michael, which was actually, when I used to play video games, one of my favourites. I really oh, enjoyed yeah. Destiny yeah, yeah. as a game. I wasn't, I was, I wasn't being glib. Uh, no, in this case, you're being perfectly honest. There was a very beautiful thing done, Michael, uh, for that. So not only did he voice a character for Destiny, he was an avid player of Destiny 2 and um, frequently went online to play with other people. And people all over the game have been holding a vigil next to his character because he was playing Destiny the day before he died. That's incredible, Ben. Um, it, it must be nice, in a way, in a sense, although tragic and shocking that he died so young, to have left such an immediately obvious and lasting fondness and legacy. It, it seems to be... He, he seems to have really struck a chord with so many people, Michael. And again, not hard to see why, I suppose. Just just a, a very impressive actor um, on screen and on, on the video games. You've just, skipped a couple uh, of really, like, big genre things as well. He was massive in Fringe, of course, Ben. He was the... Well, he was huge in Fringe, huge Michael. Huge in right. Fringe. Fringe is my real... I, I always associate him with Fringe. I watched every episode of The Wire, but Fringe was what kind of catapulted him, I think, into genre fame. Yeah, one hundred percent. That really made him like, okay, you need like, you need someone to play the no nonsense boss of your secret agency. Is Lance Riddick available? Get him in there. Get him in there. Get him. What's in. that? A bit of nonsense. I won't be having it. Says then, Lance Riddick. Famously, Ben, he uh, he turned down the role of Albert Wesker in the new um, Netflix Resident Evil series. Did he? Well, that's what we're going with. Oh, okay, because he didn't want to tarnish his legacy. That's what we're going <laughs> with. Just saying, okay, okay. He was probably one of the best parts about that, though, was he? <laughs> Let's just say I'm glad it, he wasn't in it and it didn't happen. Oh, good, okay, very good. Uh, but, ladies and gentlemen, all all joking aside, a genuine shock to hear this one this week and a, a, a real loss. And I know we say that about anybody who passes away within our little pop culture sphere, but th- this one feels like a... A bit of a punch to the gut. Yeah, this one, this one at home, didn't it? So young, 60s, so young in this day and age. He was very young, very mm. young. Um, we, so, we don't uh, have any definitive so reason. Uh, we're told natural causes, Michael, but I don't know. That's none of our business, Ben, I feel, as a pop culture podcast anyway. Um, let us reflect on his work rather than on what may have, may have happened. Um, but yeah, yeah, so rigid. It's just straight up and down. 
Just yeah, sitting in that the, chair. The posture of kings. <laughs> Absolutely incredible stuff. Benjamin, another bit of bad news, or good news, depending on your hot take on the whole issue, is old Shazam 2. Yeah. Not doing too hot. Old Shazam 2 uh, coming, uh, bloody Fury of the Gods, more like bloody uh, tepid water of the gods. I tell you what, Ben, you can summarise the entire reception and feeling about Shazam 2 with my weekend this weekend. Go on. I sent a group to our little group, a message to our little group, Ben, and I said, all right, lads, I suppose we have an obligation to go see Shazam 2. Who's in? (laughs) And you said, well, not me for one. Yeah, and then I did outright refuse. Yes, you're, yeah, you're you correct. just outright refused. You said no, thank you. I'm I'm a Black Adam man through and through, through and through. And then a couple of people said, me and Jim said, oh yeah, we'll definitely go see it, and you know we'll we'll probably we'll probably have fun. We'll probably enjoy it. And then I'll tell you what happened. Well, I tell you what happened, Ben. I'll tell you what happened. Come on. We forgot. We forgot to go and see Shazam too. Yeah, Michael. Look, it's no secret that we've been doing this for a while, Michael. Yeah, a little while. <laughs> I think as we've grown, I remember the zeal of our youth, Michael, where we'd be like, we have to see it all. We have to see every last important thing. And as we've gotten older, Michael, as the clock ticks ever onward and the sand runs out of the out of the cloudy timer, we're we're just we're just a bit more selective, Michael. This is uh this is getting dark. I, but I mean, you but the, as you say, you say a bit more selective. But I most certainly didn't decide not to go see Shazam two, which is a hard thing to say. I didn't decide not to go see Shazam two. I just forgot. I forgot to go see Shazam two, Ben. It's not great. It's not great, and uh, I think that's kind of been the world's reaction to Shazam two. It's. It's opened to a worldwide box office of about 60 million. It's really cold in here and I can't speak properly. It's opened to a worldwide box office of about 60 million, Ben. That's not... 60 million dollars, not 60 million, Ben. How much did it... it, it, That's not worth a lot, uh, ladies and gentlemen. It it sounds bigger than it is. 60 million, Ben, is about two euro and a packet of jelly babies. Two euro, yeah, yeah, at current exchange rate. Um... I don't know how much it cost. I'd say it probably cost in the region of 150 million. Yeah, that's that's a poor return on investment, isn't it? Very much so. It's it's really just another uh, sh- showing of the DCU or the DC Extended Universe or the unconnected series of DC films that we were subjected to for the last ten years in its death throes. Yeah, yeah, I look. I, I think they had to finish it. It was it, they had sunk all that money in. Maybe they hoped it would have a similar one to the first one. I mean, the first one wasn't rave-reviewed, Michael, but it was the first DC film in a while that didn't tank. It it was pretty positively reviewed, and it made money. It made a decent amount yeah. of money on a, yeah. on a pretty low budget, $100 million. I think it made like 275 or $300 million on a $100 million budget, which is, you know, you'd, you'd repeat that. That's yeah, worth you'd, repeating. You'd, you'd look for that again. You you'd would. You'd look for that again, and you'd get Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu. But oh, uh, no, no dice. I had a little watch the trailer again. Ah, uh, very silly. Helen Mirren <laughs> really hamming it up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Helen Mirren hamming it up big time. Thing. Uh, one of the things, Michael, I think someone very accurately pointed out online in the first Shazam. It's a young boy who transforms into a grown man within the foster system, and there's a lot of there's a lot of meat on those bones, Michael. You can you can tell a real story with that. What would a boy do? 
with the the strength of a god. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But apparently in this one, it's very obvious that the young man who plays Billy Batson is about 20 years old now. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's just a young man transforming into a middle-aged man. Yeah. And for some reason, the middle-aged man has zero maturity. Yeah, yeah. It's every uh, it's every kind of 20-year-old fantasy, isn't it? I wish I could just say a magic word and be 40 and have a sore back. <laughs> And stiff knees. <laughs> That's, I'm trying. I'm trying. That will really the make me cool. Word. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll, people are really think I'm cool, and I'll just look completely different. Some of the grown-up versions of the characters are spot-on casting, but now some of them are old enough that it's kind of weird that they're different-looking. Yeah, that suit's too tight. Yeah. <laughs> Stop that. Give Very it over. Strange. Very strange. There's big spoilers abound as well, Ben, for the the most important thing that happens in it. Go on. Uh, Do you want to hear big spoilers? Right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to do big spoilers for the runaway DC hit, Schism 2. Schism 2, Ben. In Schism 2, at the end, they get rid of the gods and they're like, oh no, there's no more gods, so we've lost our powers. And then someone shows up and says, well, no, there's one more god. Guess who it is? It's Gal Gadot. Oh, Oh. (laughs) <laughs> just wheeling her out I think they just keep her on a trolley and just wheel her out for cameos at the that end is, of other that movies that is primarily though. Gal Gadot's career at this point though isn't yeah, it she was yeah. the it girl at one point and now yeah, it's yeah. just ah oh, remember she was in that one good movie with um, Red Notice <laughs> with Wonder Woman yeah uh-huh. Red Notice Red Notice you loved it you loved Red Notice oh Red Notice was a real gem Michael but anyway ladies and gentlemen it, it hasn't gone well for them but Michael 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 We've got a slew of new possibilities brought to us this week in the form of trailers. Woohoo! Benjamin, what a time to be alive for American-born Asians. So hot right now, man. So hot right now. Everything Everywhere All at Once has done for American-born Asians what Black Panther did for Americans pretending to be African. <laughs> very, what? very interesting. But I think, I think so. One of the one of the things that I think is very interesting about it. So this is this is really the crazy rich Asians phenomenon. Yes, um, go on. <laughs> you're, just, and, you're not engaging me on what I just said there. No, are no, you? no. I'm gonna I'm gonna get it now. I'm gonna get <laughs> okay. it now. It All originates right. in it originates in the crazy rich Asians, and since then, Michael, we have seen uh, what can only be described as a snowball effect of representation for American Asians, and I think that's quite important. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my job. The that's the job the I'm taking there. here, Ben. Uh, one of the interesting things I've always found about the Black Panther franchise, Michael, is that it's it's a bunch of Americans pretending to be African. Hold on a second. Some of them are English. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with that. <laughs> but uh, that's that's one of the interesting... Chadwick Boseman, Michael, does, didn't speak like that. No, that no, wasn't not at all. No. Was, Winston Duke doesn't speak like that. No, no but none of them do, Ben. Letitia <laughs> Wright doesn't. No... None of them do. Angela Bassett doesn't. I think that for genuine Africans, there must be, for people who are born, people born and who live in Africa, there must be a hint of like, for when we see like, what was that movie called? Um, Fucking Leap Year or... Wild Mountain Time. Wild Mountain Time or, you know, any of those where, why didn't you just hire Irish people? Why do you have all of these American people and, and English people in Ireland doing Irish 
and there's not a single Irish person on set. And, you know, Black Panther was kind of like that for Africa. Yeah, I, I mean, it. it's one thing that's always bugged me. And I, I think, you know, it, you tend to be, or at least I tend to be, Michael, a little bit careful around anything to do with black culture and stuff like that. Because I'm very pale, Michael. And I don't necessarily... One of the palest boys alive. One of the palest boys alive, Michael. They don't necessarily have the back and forth. But in this case, I really do feel that it's sometimes a bit iffy when you hear the... And since it's not a real place, it's it's a it's a pan-African accent on yeah. occasion. Can you do any sort of African accent, Winston? Oh, yeah, I could just throw one together for you. Sounds great. I, I just Get do a stage screen. actor's voice with a twang. Um, and, uh, it's, it's not ideal, Michael. Down to the, the made-up chant... You know, of an African people that he lashes out on late night talk shows and stuff, and you're there going, "Oh, I don't know about this." But that's funnily enough, Michael. One of the things that I think a lot of these Asian American films are getting right, and and that is, it's very much focused on the divide between first generation immigrants of that uh, of you know of the early days of Chinese American integration and the the third wave immigrants who were born and more American than uh, Chinese or more American than Japanese or at least more culturally American uh, than those people. And I think they're doing it a lot better in the Asian films. So <laughs> one of the things that we got is Crazy Rich Asians and it's all about old world Chinese money uh, or yeah. Hong Kong money, pardon me, that's going to get me in trouble. Um, is it not Singapore? Say, oh, it's even worse. It's uh, <laughs> even is, worse. Is it's it all Singapore? about old money in Singapore meets new money in Singapore. Um, and it's all about that clash of uh, crazy rich Asians. It's, 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 it's how that works. Uh, the, the seminal message of everything everywhere all at once is you know, first-generation immigrants don't understand their children in America and expect them to, to kind of get on board with old-world values and connect with that. And it's about the, for lack of a better word, Michael, the trauma that springs from the disappointment or disconnect between what your parents want and what you want. Sure, but, I mean, to go back to Crazy Rich Asians, though, Crazy Rich Asians did get a bit of slack because... Sorry, not slack, a bit of... What's the negative flack. word? It is slack, yeah. No, it's flack. Flack, flack, thank you. It did get a bit of flack because it wasn't set in America and it wasn't about immigration. It was very much set in Singapore and suffered in the same way from having a cast pretty much entirely made up of Americans and English people. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I didn't I didn't realize that, Michael. Okay, that's that's yeah, yeah. fair. I mean, it's always tricky, isn't it? Like it, it it's hard to know. I mean, when you but, when you Yeah, go on. It, well, it, with, with the likes of Singapore, it's hard to make a movie aimed at Americans, which Crazy Rich Asians definitely was, yeah. if if your main actors aren't speaking with American accents and culturally relatable. Yes, you won't make as much money off that particular... Th- th- there's a lack of instantaneous connection, Michael. Exactly. But anyway, sorry, to get back to our point, it yeah. there is... There is a very large and growing and prominent market for American Asian American immigration stories. Yeah, speaking of Michael, the one that we got, uh, the one that was announced this week on Disney Plus is from the creators of Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yes, go on. Um, and based on a famous graphic novel, it's American-born Chinese. Go on. 
Uh, and it's got it's Michael. It's got everybody from the uh, from everything everywhere all at once. They're all there, featuring the cast of everyone everywhere all at once. But that's that's exactly what it is, Michael. Michelle Yeoh is there. Yeah. Um, Kiwi. Uh, I'm going to get this name wrong because I can never pronounce it. You Quan- just you just What's struggle the, away there. I can't remember the is it Juan Kiwi yes. Juan. I think so. Yeah. Yes. Stephanie Hugh is back as well. Everyone's back. Um, they've left. They've they've left probably wisely at this point. Jamie Lee Curtis out of this one. I think um, they should have had her in there. I, I you know, um, but it's based on a famous graphic novel, Michael. Cool. Uh, and the graphic novel is the graphic novel of the same name, and it's by Jean uh, Lun Yang, and it's all about his struggle growing up as an American Chinese uh, immigrant. And, and is, there, um, is there mysticism and parallel worlds in this? So uh, I think it's I think it's based on I think it's a hyper re- a hyper kind of reality retelling of the struggles of being an Asian American man, where worlds kind of crash into each other on both sides of that divide. Old world Chinese meets new world American kind of vibe. Exactly what we were just talking about, Michael. But it looks very good, doesn't it? I thought. Worlds were literally colliding. I thought this was a kind of everything, everywhere, all at once slash um, Marvel Cinematic Universe incursion type situation. Well, it is. It is very much sold as that, Michael. That is the that is the tagline for all of this, which is worlds collide. Um, I do think you know it's very interesting that it's the same cast as the thing. <laughs> it's exactly it's, so, the same cast. Uh, it's from the director of Shang Chi or Shang Chi. As it's put, and the producers of everywhere, everywhere, every, <laughs> everything, everywhere, 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 <laughs> everywhere, 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 and uh, then call yeah, up I think musical I, retelling of everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, I, I'd watch that. Um, but yeah, so that's what it is. It's American-born Chinese, and it looks very interesting, Michael. Uh, very along the lines of everything, everywhere, all at once. I think. I remember a couple of years ago, Michael, we did an episode on how parallel dimensions were the new thing, and I, I posited the theory that it's it's the only thing that gives us a bit of escapism anymore, because anything even remotely said in reality is just a bit depressing for people. Um, so we, we've we've really come into this new age of, what's that, another world crashing into our own? Good, good. Get, get that on the screen there. Get it up there. Up Great. There that. Great, get it up there on the screen. Benjamin, you also put beef on the running order this week, but is it really in our remit? Oh, I think it absolutely is, Michael. Well, tell get us about out it of here. Tell us um, about it then. So, beef is another, uh, this time Asian American without any kind of, um, any kind of uh, immigrant tension, Michael. This is far more about just, uh, it's just two Asian people happening to hate each other, Michael. They don't we like got each other. Yeah, we got the trailer for this on uh, on the internet. On the internet, Michael, this week, and it's Stephen Yun and Ali Wong, uh, mm-hmm. two two very popular Asian American actors, Michael. And uh, basically, they're both very successful people. Yes, go on. Who are leading sham lives? That is to say, Michael, that you know, they uh, Stephen Yun seems to be a former millionaire who's lost everything. Yeah, a tech bro. A tech bro, as it were. A crypto bro. Yeah. And Ali Wong seems to be playing a, a, a kept woman, a, a rich housewife, who's very unhappy in her marriage. I um, think they're going to have sex at the end, Ben. 
I think I think it's probably going to be an enemies to lovers kind of gig, Michael. I think there's going to be a lot of that. But the the crux of it is very much in the style of falling down of, you know, uh, that's a Michael Douglas film, by the way. I'm not saying that people are just going to fall down in the film. That would um, be very funny, though. Uh, yeah, and it riffs on, I think, that that most American of malaises, Michael, the going postal vibe. Mm. Oh, um, that's how it's ended up in here. Go on. Yeah, so I, I think uh, what what happens is the, these two people run into each other completely randomly at, a, at a, an absolute breaking point in their own lives, and they immediately form a hateful bond, Michael. And they mm. begin to hunt each other and try to ruin each other's lives for to feel something. Sounds great. We just started the podcast. We just did that, Michael, and now give ourselves Chinese burns in the corner. Um, and that's that's just what we do. Um, but yeah, it's all very healthy over here, Michael. Very um, interesting choice of words there, Benjamin. Oh no, that- is Chinese burn a bad thing now? It probably is. <laughs> considering oh, the topic of this week's podcast. Um, anyway, Benjamin. Yeah. Are we? Are you still talking about beef? I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. <laughs> oh, go on. Okay, this go is on. Uh, this is right up there in that um, Stephen Yun seems to have a particular axe to grind with capitalism, Michael, and I have to say I'm here for it. Um, yes, multi-millionaire Stephen Yun definitely has it in for capitalism. Yeah, he's no great fan of it, Michael. He's he's a real he's a real communist, Comrade what? Yun, as I <laughs> call him. Comrade Yun, one of the greatest <laughs> beneficiaries of capitalism of our times. Ah. Stephen Yun doesn't really rate it though. He's done. He's done great out of it. In fairness, Michael, but um, we we see him in all kinds of films that kind of depict the very very dark side of capitalism. Um, we also saw him in that one uh, where he goes berserk in an office. I think oh, it's Stephen called Mayhem. Berserk in an office. I remember it well. Yeah, it's called Mayhem, Michael, and uh, it's about a chemical released into uh, an office building, and everybody goes a bit mad, and it's a kind of critique of hypercapitalism. And this, Michael, looks to be much the same, Michael. Oh God, the rat race isn't it awful? What would people do to get out of it? Apparently, fixate on somebody, stalk them, and try to ruin their lives. So it's another yeah. late stage capitalism narrative, Michael. <laughs> and uh, I refuse to get off this hobby horse. It's my new favorite thing: late stage capitalism bloody narratives for everybody very good Dasvidanya comrade Colopy Benjamin (laughs) speaking of things that are going to take down the system though (laughs) aren't we all just terrified of the AI coming to get us Oh, Michael, the AI is going to ruin everything or make everything great, Michael. I, I, you have benefited massively from AI, Michael. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I've got an AI co-host now. Yeah, I'm not real, ladies and gentlemen. I am actually a mid-journey ChatGPT blend model, uh, and it's all run through uh, a fantastic app on the internet called Podcastle. I'm not real. He's Um, not real. Poor, poor Ben left this podcast years ago, and uh, he just—he didn't realize that he had signed an agreement to his rights as a voice. Yeah. He'd done a big Harrison Ford, or was it Bruce Willis who did it? I can't remember. Doesn't matter. Anyway, we saw the trailer for Mrs. Davis. Michael, I, I, the second I saw this, I was like, "What the fuck is this?" This is great. It's Betty Gilpin in it, Ben, and she's I a nun. I love Betty Gilpin. Everybody loves Betty Gilpin. She's in one of the best fight scenes of recent times. Nice. Um, in Glow, the glamorous ladies of wrestling. But um, she's she's going to take down Facebook all on her own. All on her own. So, Michael, this is set in the not-so-distant future by the looks of things. Looks like it, yeah. Like or it's either, it's or either that years. or it's a parallel dimension. Where, I'd say not-so-distant future. Yeah, I'll, we'll go with not-so-distant future. But basically, everybody's hooked up to the AIs, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And it seems to be that this woman has been contacted by a form of AI called Mrs. Davis. Mm. And she is being directed to take something out, Michael. Now, we're not 100% sure what it is. There's a MacGuffin vibe to the whole thing. No, we are. Is she taking down AI in general? Oh, no, she's been... The the AI is sending her on a quest for the Holy Grail. Oh, that's it. And she doesn't want to accept it, Michael. Um, But everybody just does what the AI tells it to do. Brilliant. Great Um, stuff. Terrifying. And it's a very interesting concept because I suppose at a certain point, Michael, we are going to cross that threshold where when you say Alexa or Hey Google or whatever... Uh-oh. It is going to... Okay, both of my devices have just woken up as a result of me <laughs> saying that. My phone is now recording exactly what I'm saying into the microphone as we go. That's yeah. fascinating. Uh, and Alexa has lit up behind me <laughs> over there. So it's a very interesting time, Michael. Um, but anyway, there is going to come a point, I would imagine, where we are going to be sitting down and uh, you just turn around to your AI and you say, what am I doing today? What's uh, what's the crack? What's, Program what's- my day for me, AI. Maximize my day. I cannot wait for that day, Michael, where my purpose is dictated by the almighty algorithm. I will relax on that day. That will be a good day. Benjamin, I've been trying to do that for you for years. But you also have some sort of oppositional defiance issue where you just, won't, you just won't follow the instructions of the AI. I can't wait. I'm going to be like, all right, AI, what time am I shitting today for maximum... <laughs> colon cleanliness but it, it will do that it will gather your data over the course of a week and then it'll be like we found that 11 o'clock is your sweet spot Michael yeah. you get in there <laughs> Michael have you considered shitting 15 minutes earlier to break up the day but <laughs> but the terrifying thing about this Michael is you know it won't be I think we're we're probably a little bit behind the times now when we do the robot voice for AI because it's not going to sound like that it's going to be a perfectly pleasant human sounding voice that's going to be like hey buddy looking a bit blocked up there more fibre in the diet I think it's time for more fibre in the diet and it, it it's going to be you know it's going to be weird Michael mine's going to be Betty Gilpin and she's going to be like Mick have you shot today <laughs> you son of a bitch uh, so, Michael, this particular thing, speaking of one Betty Gilpin, this this has Monty Python vibes, this has Terry Gilliam Madness vibes, mm. this this has the, the Good Place vibes. You know, there's a lot of American criticism in this. It's all a bit mad. There's a, there's a good touch of Black Mirror about it. I think the whole thing might be a critique of late-stage capitalism. Oh, Michael, do you know what I love? <laughs> Is it critiques of late-stage capitalism? I fucking love them, Michael. Late-stage capitalist narratives. I'm going to do das an episode on it soon, Michael. You're going to have to deal with it. Das You're going to have to deal comrade with it. Comrade Benjamin, no, it looks good, though. I, I think it looks interesting. I like the I like the vibe it's giving off. It's definitely a one-episode watch, at least. Yeah, absolutely, Michael. It's got a Don Quixote kind of mad adventure vibe. And, Michael, there's not enough of that on television anymore. We used to get weird TV shows like Warehouse 13. Do you remember Warehouse 13? Very good, yeah. It has um, lots of people in it whose names I don't remember. Alison Scagliotti. Alison Scagliotti. You got it in one, Michael. Well played. Uh, so we used to get narratives like that all the time. Weird kind of traversing America, funky vibe things. I can't remember what the one was. Do you remember the guy who had to collect all the, the objects for the motel room? The evil motel room to get his daughter back? Oh, um, motel room object collecting man. Yeah, that was a great one. I think it was called Room Key, but I can't remember, Michael. Uh, but yeah, that was a mad one as well. This looks to be in that great tradition of late-stage capitalist narratives about the AI. <laughs> very good. Very Black Mirror. Very Bryce Dallas Howard's social standing is going to collapse. Yeah, it's, it's not great. Come on. 
poor old Bryce Dallas Howard. So I think that's it. I think that's us. I think we're done. I think we've run out, my ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'm actually getting a notice here from uh, Google, and it says uh, you should probably wrap it up a few minutes early this week, guys. Uh, you've, you've really passed your prime. Wrap um, it up, Ben. It's time for your shit. Uh, that's a little bit hurtful from Google. Nah, I'm just kidding, ladies and gentlemen. We can't fold it there, ladies and gentlemen. We've only been chatting for about... I don't know. I don't keep track of how long minutes. we do this. 29 minutes. That leaves us with at least 29 minutes of content to go. But luckily, ladies and gentlemen, what we've gotten in touch through the dark web and we've hired the expertise of one Baba Gaga. And we're going to go through the great fight scenes of television and movie history of the last 10 years or so. I wish I was in drag for this. That would be absolutely brilliant. Doing a big high kick in high heels. We may refilm this episode as a video, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, and put Mick in drag. I'm Baba Gaga. Yeah. Imagine. <laughs> I don't, I've got, I don't think I've got you understand wig. what drag is. I've got the wig on. I've got the lightning bolt glasses. Um, yeah, great <laughs> stuff. Do you think no. that Elton John is drag? No. <laughs> well, is he not? <laughs> Oh, the entire gay community just rolled in its grave. Um, <laughs> the gay community's not dead, Ben. <laughs> no, I know. Um, I was stronger for, than ever. Yeah, stronger than ever, some would say. But especially anyway, with their new, uh, especially with their new power icon, Baba Gaga. Baba Gaga backing them up. Yeah. Steely gays and Baba Gaga. We we could do a drag night, Michael. We've well, covered this many times on the podcast. We're well I'm on the way saying. now, aren't we? Yeah, well on the way. Anyway, ladies yes. and gentlemen, far be it from us to subject you to our fantasies for the direction we'd like to put the podcast <laughs> in. We uh, we Stupid got in AI. touch with a few different people and we asked, ladies and gentlemen, on the Instagrams, on the Discords, what did you think the best fight scene of the last couple of years was? I put up four of I, what I think are the most interesting fight scenes of the last couple of years. So we had John Wick 3, Michael. Right. And that's the fight with the two twins, the two boys giving it socks. That's just um, a mirror, Ben. It's a fight with a mirror. Mm. Um, it's uh, Keanu Reeves fighting aging as a male celebrity. That's what it is. Uh, the Punisher prison fight from Daredevil Season 2, Michael, which is probably the oldest thing we have on the list here. Yes, but since it, it has been recorded and released since we last talked about this. so Yeah, so it's absolutely fair, fine. It's within the conceit. Mission yeah. Impossible 7, good old Henry Cavill's cannons out yeah. for a walk. Yeah. And then The Hunt with Betty Gilpin. Bit of a, bit of a left field one there, Ben, from you. Uh, yeah, um, but I, I, th- I think an absolute gem, Michael, uh, if I went for it. So we had a little vote, ladies and gentlemen, and the winner, well, there's no real winner, Michael, because we got another tie. We keep getting ties. Yeah, yeah, people like voting for the same things. They do. We got Punisher Prison Fight and John Wick 3. Whatever it is about those two early scenes, Michael, uh, or those two early seasons of Daredevil, Michael, they really cemented themselves as peak fight choreography on <laughs> two occasions. Yes. Yes, yeah. they did. Very much so. Um, was that Punisher? Was that not in Punisher? Was that in Daredevil Season 2? That's in Daredevil Season 2. Is it? The Punisher is locked up and the Kingpin um, tries to eliminate him in prison. Yeah, you've pronounced that strangely. What did you say? Kingpin? Kingpin, I think it's pronounced. Yes, yeah, sorry, I forgot to say it uh, correctly. Kingpin, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. All the throwback podcast things today. <laughs> Jokes from five years ago, so fresh. Ben, I've watched all of those fight scenes. I've seen every last one of them. They're very good. And I tell you what, they're, they vary. Ah, oh, get out of here. They vary. Can we talk about my favourite of them? Go on. Would you like to hear my favourite and why it's my favourite? I would, yeah. 
My favourite of those fight scenes, Ben, is Mission Impossible 3's toilet beatdown. Oh, the the toilet beatdown, Michael. The the, the cannons reloading on so, one Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill reloading his cannons, obviously, is the, has become the iconic scene from that from that um sorry the iconic shot from that scene. Yes, and very well deserved. So a moment of serendipity which became a cinematic icon. Henry yeah. Cavill just had tired arms because they'd been doing it for hours and he yes. was shaking the lactic acid out of them a little bit, which is a perfectly reasonable thing to do if you've been holding your arms up for hours on end filming a fight scene. Hours and, uh, on end. And the director saw it and said, that looked cool, what did you do there? And it became the, the iconic reloading the gun scene. Brilliant stuff. But it's actually a grey fight scene. Go on. It's a really, really, really good fight scene. Um, one of the things for this about this whole topic for me, Ben, is breaking down where does realism play a part in whether or not I enjoy a fight scene. Okay. Because there are certain bits of realism that jump out to me as that just couldn't happen and it's distractingly silly. Go on. And there's there's some obvious ones. Do you want to hear my obvious, the obvious ones that I don't like? Michael, I'd love that. Well, one thing that really takes me personally out of a fight scene, Ben, as someone who knows how to fight quite well, but yes. one thing that really takes me out of a fight scene is turn-taking. Yeah, where everybody waits patiently. Where everybody waits patiently for their turn to do their one move on the hero, and then yeah. he hits them and knocks them down and then they roll around the ground a bit going, oh, 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 and then they look over and see, is it my turn yet? And then they go, oh, not yet. So turn taking really takes me out of things. Um, people, and it's not exclusively tiny women versus huge men, but it often is, but improbable fights presented as though it's an easy win for the small person. Yeah. Really takes me out of it. I have no issue with women beating up men, like female superheroes beating up men. In fact, some of the websites I visit focus on that. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> I'm glad you like that, Ben. I, I was storing that one. That was in the back pocket for the whole episode. You've had that but, for the whole episode. <laughs> some No, I have no issue with female superheroes beating up men, but I have issue with tiny characters easily dispatching massive people as if it were nothing and not even if they kind of put a lampshade on it and say oh well that was surprisingly easy wasn't it that's fine but just Scarlett Johansson casually dropping six six foot two bodybuilders with one punch each yes that no that takes me out of it that you, um, you'll have less of that. You want uh, you want to struggle, Michael. Exactly. And then the kind of inverse, the weird thing is the other two kind of things that really take me out of it is um, like real violent bloodiness that people get over like instantly. Like right. people taking lethal blows and like wiping their nose and going, putting their fists back up. And then at the same time, Heroes being immune to things that would probably kill them. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. They're, they're kind of the things that bother me about fight scenes. As someone who's been hit more than most people. 
Yes, you you have, Michael. And in fairness to you, you've always been golden on the two pieces of advice you've given me in a scrap, which is if it's more than one person, it's not going to go very well for you. And if the other person is significantly bigger than you, you're better off getting out of that situation as as quick as you possibly can. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's very hard to fight more than one person. Very, yeah. very hard. And because it's next to impossible, you have to contrive ways to make it look cool in cinema. Because if you just do it, if you just say, just have a scrap and we'll film it and I'm sure it'll look cool, then the one person is going to look pretty, pretty beat up at the end of it. So that's one of the things I really love about Mission Impossible 7's fight scene. Go on. There's so much about it that's great. First of all, the impacts in it feel fantastic. They do. They feel exhausting to watch. You're just like, oh, Jesus Christ. Fighting is incredibly tiring. Fighting is, I think, the most tiring thing that a person can do. And they all look exhausted by the end of this. And they're like, but they don't go, and then fight again as if they're grand. As if it's perfect. Yeah, like it's it's getting scrappier and scrappier and, and harder and harder. But what I really love about this fight is it's two on one and the villain absolutely kicks the shit out of them. Yeah, they're no use. In the <laughs> it's not that they're no use. They're both highly competent fighters in this. But they just unbeknownst to themselves bitten off more than they could chew yeah your man is just ready to go and he doesn't beat them up like say Black Widow would beat up two thugs either it's a very even fight Um, it's, it's, it's a thrilling fight which it looks like anyone could win and then he starts getting the upper hand and you feel that momentum turn in it and go, yeah. oh, no, these guys are getting absolutely shit mixed here by this guy. <laughs> One of the interesting things, Michael, is you see the kind of realisation in Tom Cruise's face where he's like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is oh, a lot more shit mixed. than I realise. I brought this huge guy with the reloading guns and we're still getting battered. <laughs> we're still getting our shit rocked. Uh, yeah, no, there is... There is <clears throat> There is a lot of that going on in that fight, Michael. I I like one of my one of my favorite things, Michael, is the and it's it's become really prominent in a lot of Marvel movies. There's the corridor fight or the locked room fight or the mm-hmm. contained space fight. Now, I I don't have your background in in an old scrap, Michael, but I I quite like watching fight scenes in those confined spaces because they make the most sense to me where you have to fight, if that makes sense. Do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like I, I enjoy the conceit in a lot of the Marvel things. Fair enough, in the Daredevil ones, not so much. I like the Punisher fight because Frank has zero option. He's been locked in there, and if he doesn't do it, he's going to die. Yeah, but Ben, I'm not locked in here with you. <laughs> it is very or, much that. Yeah. You're locked in here with me. I am locked in here with you, but you know what I mean. I'm going to kill you. You get my, you get the idea. You it's get more of a saying? philosophical conceit. Yeah, you guys are in trouble, is what I'm saying. Now, <laughs> the Punisher corridor fight, the Punisher corridor fight is good, but it's nowhere near as good as that Mission Impossible fight. No, it's probably Mission. I think I think the Mission Impossible fight is probably recognised across the board. Michael is one of the best damn fights going, except on our Instagram poll. Except on our Instagram poll, where people should have tried harder. Hmm? <laughs> you proud of yourself, Instagram? Are you? But. I mean, the the egregious thing about um, the Punisher fight, and this is kind of, I, I think, 
um, a result of the Marvel Netflix shows having relatively little time put into stunt coordination and right. training is the time taking, the turn taking, excuse yeah. me, is very noticeable. Okay. Everybody's waiting for a turn to try and come up and stab Frank Castle while he's looking directly at them, having just dispatched the other guys. Yeah. Like one guy comes out of the cell right at the end. Yeah, just to have another He just like and kicks him in the head. And it's like, were you just hiding there the whole time when everyone else is getting stabbed, you useless fucker? Well, I I don't know. Criminals are a superstitious and cowardly lot, Michael. Maybe that's how it works. I don't think it is. But But then he gets a a bout of bravery and comes out and he was actually the biggest and toughest the whole time. Yeah, it was fine. He could have just done that from the start and saved some lives. Yeah, yeah. I I don't I don't actually rate that Punisher hallway fight that highly either. Oh, it's um get out of here. Yeah, it's Jesus. it's not great. It's not great. Like there's a there's a scene where we see it in a kind of um a close up on Frank as he has taken one of them down and he has kind of a half mount on one of the thugs and Frank is punching him. He's punching down into the guy's face. Yeah. And it just looks there's not much impact there. Um it 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 doesn't look like um what's his name? Frank Grillo? No, it's not yeah. Frank Grillo. It's not Frank Grillo. Frank Grillo's crossbones. Oh no, it's um sorry, John Bernthal. John Bernthal, yeah. Um it doesn't look like John Bernthal's hitting anything. He's just and punching a bag. He's, I don't think he's even punching a bag. I think he's punching thin air. Um and he's definitely not punching down with his knuckles in the right position. And then later he swings a kind of prison tomahawk thing. And yeah. in all honesty, it looks like he missed. But the special effects have the guy's head split open anyway. They, they mustn't have a lot of time, Michael. They, they they must just be told, right, That's we'll fix it in post. Famously, didn't they not have practically any time for Iron Fist? Oh, but that's that's one of the greatest sins, Michael, because Iron Fist is all about the Kung Fu. <laughs> like, True, but because Iron Fist is all about the Kung Fu, it kind of, it's very hard to hide poor stunt work. Yeah. But in this, because it's a scrappy brawl, a bit of cinematography, a bit of special effects, blood, a bit of grunting, a bit of very good acting, hides the sins, I think, of it not actually being a great engaging fight scene it's very bloody it's very visually interesting and stuff but yeah. looking back on it as a purely as a fight scene I didn't rate <laughs> it that highly that's fair enough that's fair enough Michael I suppose one of the ones that's unavoidable here Michael and one of the ones that you, you couldn't have any great fight ranking on anything without without touching it John Wick 1, 2 and 3 Michael has given us some of the most the most thought out choreography being directed and kind of inspired by a choreographer of fights yes you know um, it, it's it's probably an unavoidable one. You've got a bit of gung fu in there, Michael. Yep. You know, you've got a bit of a classic hand-to-hand. None of it, I think, is realistic, but I could be wrong. <laughs> so Je- Je- um, Keanu Reeves learned quite a bit of Brazilian jiu-jitsu for this, and I think a bit of combatives, and he's, he's pretty handy. Je- Keanu Reeves can throw up a realistic-looking triangle or a realistic-looking hip throw or... Yeah. Um, He's, he's like John Wick, Keanu Reeves's punches and throws and trips look a lot more impactful than John Berenthal's. Go on. Um, but my personal favourite John Wick fight, and I don't know who said this on the Discord, was it Nine Wassies? 
I think it was nine yeah, wassies. It was nine wassies, it was. He's got good taste. He's a man of good taste. My, I think the most memorable fight scene in, in John Wick was when he kills the very tall man with the book. Tall man with the book. Yes! Yes, in the library. In the um, library, yes. John Wick with the book in the library. I think that fight scene was And great. Keanu Reeves looks at him and he goes, I still have time. And the guy <laughs> says, not so much time. Yeah, I always think that guy looks like Adam Driver in a weird. He's like a big stretched out Adam Driver, and then he pulls out he pulls out a vicious looking filleting knife. Yeah, and they have a fight of filleting knife versus John Wick's book with his medallion and his picture of his wife in it. Yeah, classic book, and (laughs) classic John Wick book. And to be honest, it's an ugly and awkward fight scene, which is. Made feel a bit more real, I think, by there are clearly no stunt performers involved. Yeah. They've got this guy, this enormously tall, gangly guy playing the other assassin. And he's given it a good old go, but he doesn't look like he's really very well trained in fight choreography. Sure. He's missing a lot of grabs on Keanu Reeves and stuff like that. And you can see him, you know, he's awkward. And it's, it's hard to be an agile um, coordinated giant giant so he he does a pretty good job but it's the inventiveness of the scene in, in particular the way John Wick puts the book on the table and then snaps his neck down across it my god that's such a visceral moment isn't it that nobody's expecting you're just there going oh Jesus very good very yeah. very good it's up there with the Joker killing the man with that pen yeah just such a shocking moment. Michael, speaking of speaking of people who are very good at fighting, that was Michael J. White. Michael back in the back in the day. What's that, um, Michael J. White? That's Michael J. White. Very good. Yeah. Okay. Um, a very competent fighter in his own in, in his own right, Michael. Um, Black Dynamite, don't you know? Dynamite. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Is he a very competent fighter? He is. He's a very well known. Um, he's a very well known uh, martial artist, and uh, does a lot of does a lot of work in the fight choreography and martial arts sphere. Does Michael J. White? Yeah, um, is he a good fighter though? I I couldn't tell you, Michael. Anyone mm. that throws a punch and doesn't get hit as much as they swing one is a good fighter to me. Have you ever seen him in a fight though? I haven't seen anybody in a fight ever, Michael. I avoid the, fighting. There I'm you a go. That's what pacifist. I mean. The only because person that... I'd fight, Michael, is late stage capitalism. Yeah, let's take it down. <laughs> we'll get we'll get we'll get Baba Gaga and Steely Gaze to take down late stage capitalism <laughs> with fists. Um but that the reason I'm being such a dick there, Ben, and being so confrontational, so unusually confrontational, is one of my favourite fight scenes from the last ten years. Well, uh, two very different fight scenes, mm-hmm. but from one movie. Go on. And they're both from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. And I loved the fight scene between Brad Pitt's character, whose name I've completely forgotten. Let's just call him Pitt Bradley. Yeah. And uh, Bruce Lee. (laughs) That is just a fabulous fight. That caused so much controversy at the time, Michael. Hilarious. It caused controversy because, kind of akin to what you've just said about Michael J. White, Bruce Lee has become iconic. He's become an untouchable legend of of martial arts and fighting in general. Mm. And for my money, probably, no, no, certainly not a good fighter. Dun, dun, dun. Tiny. He was tiny. Bruce Lee was tiny. Mm-hmm. 
I think he was, what, 55, 60 kilos if he was a day? You're, again, you're asking the wrong man, Michael. Yeah, tiny, tiny little fella. A teeny tiny little fella with no proven record of actual fighting who, through his own actions, built up this um, untouchable reputation through movies. He was, yeah. a, he was a, a film actor and a stuntman. Yeah. And his legend... I th- I saw that fight scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood between Brad Pitt Bradley and, and Bruce Lee wasn't a mockery of Bruce Lee the man. It was a mockery of Bruce Lee the unquestionable icon of martial prowess. Yeah, yeah, the myth, Michael. The, the myth. myth, exactly. It was Bruce Lee the myth, not Bruce Lee the man. And Very yeah, much it's, so. It's mean to pick on Bruce Lee the man, although there are rumours that he was a bit of a bully. Yeah, are there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are, there are rumours of him um, being quite dangerous to work with for stunt performers because he wanted to show off so much. Well, that's um, no good. Rumours, though, Ben. And, you know, who knows? Unless we get sued by the Bruce uh, by the Bruce Lee estate, is it? Yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, anyone who's famous has negative rumours about them and he's not here to defend himself or to grow as a person and later come and say, yeah, I was a bit a bit of a dick in my younger days. And that's um, why, ladies and gentlemen, we're, we're going to be transforming this podcast into a bashing the dead podcast where no one can defend themselves and we can say whatever we like. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get them. But, I mean, the great thing about that fight scene is when Bruce Lee talks in depth about how he could, uh, if he were to fight Cassius Clay, as he was at the time, yeah. um, he would be arrested for killing him. Yeah, because these hands are lethal weapons, Michael. Yeah, absolute bullshit. Absolute martial arts fantasy nonsense. I think and he would it, have. I think. I think Cassius Clay would have flattened him. Michael. He would have flattened him in one punch, Ben. Bruce Lee couldn't harm Cassius Clay. It's the, the size difference, the physical combat experience difference, leagues apart. Ninety nine percent of adult males who are training in MMA gyms these days. Not professional MMA fighters, but people who are doing two or three nights a week of MMA or kickboxing or Muay Thai or, you know, any sort of... hmm? No, not take your pick because there's a big difference between, say, doing something like Muay Thai or or MMA and doing Kempo Karate down the local sports hall. Oh, I'll, I'll just stop going to my Kempo Karate down the local sports hall. Then. Do it's over there in Kingswood. <laughs> you know it well. Um, but um, but ninety nine percent of young fit men who are doing martial arts in Ireland, in combative, competitive martial arts, would absolutely turn Bruce Lee into a paste. And most of them probably don't believe that, which is it says so much about the myth. Yeah, I mean, you do get. I mean, we've we've seen some interesting stuff over the last couple of years, Michael, to do with that myth building. Do you know what I mean? You have people like The Rock or Vin Diesel and Jason Statham. I think in particular thinking of those three because we found out through the Fast and the Furious franchise that in their contract, Michael, they're not allowed to lose fights. Yes, in 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 the mythic kind of making of who they are, they protect that reputation fiercely. Um, Which is what's so great about Mission Impossible Seven is that Henry Cavill and Tom Cruise get absolutely shit mixed. Yeah, and it's a very enjoyable fight. I think, Michael, there is there is a definite move from the the beautifully choreographed fights of past movies where 
essentially you would get your shit rocked and then you would stand up and walk away at the end of a fight scene. I think modern fight scenes, and we've seen it a bit in the Mission Impossible 7, we've seen it a bit in John Wick, the fights take a collective toll on the combatants involved and we see them slow down and we see the movements become either more environmental, uh, i.e. with the book and the large man in John Wick, um, or using the sink in Mission Impossible 7, you know, because there's a certain point of exhaustion where it's just like, oh, fuck me, I can't keep going. This this has to end sooner rather than later. But we saw it as well, Michael, in The Hunt with Betty Gilpin. And and your favourite and mine. What's her name again? Hilary Swank, Michael. Hilary Swank had a million dollar baby. The million dollar baba. The million dollar baba herself. Um, Hilary Swank, who famously played a a boxer in a film that if you're not in a good mental headspace, don't watch it. Don't do it. Don't watch it. It's shocking. She also was the karate kid, you'll remember. She was. She was the lady karate kid, Michael. Um, But in this particular one, Michael, um, it's such a fascinating film in itself. And something of a critique of late stage capitalism, perhaps? It is a critique of late stage capitalism. I can't believe you snuck that by me you son of a bitch I've got so many Michael I'm going to ruin this podcast Um, I'm going to go for it everything is going to be a coded communist manifesto oh bloody hell comrade Colopy strikes again Anyway, Michael, um, what we get in that final scene is the confrontation between, I suppose, the main villain, Michael, who is the the millionaire businesswoman who feels it's okay to treat people inhumanely as long as they don't share the same political views as her. Yeah, late stage Um, capitalism, I think, was her name. Yeah, that was her name. And then uh, Betty Gilpin, who's just a a regular Joe who served in the military, Michael, in the special Mm. forces. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they've made the mistake of grabbing her because they didn't do their research thoroughly, Michael, and they grabbed the wrong woman. They, they were meant to grab an... Huh? Same name. Same name, and that was the issue, Michael. But the scene we get there is fascinating. It's another closed room scrap. And um, it's just those two women duking it out, Michael. And it looks exhausting. Very tiring. It looks then, awful. <laughs> also, at points, not that tiring. It's, it's almost bloodless. It is, it is. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of gore. There's not a lot. There's a few uncomfortable scenes with a stabbing. Um, There's a few objects like inserted into legs and stuff that always makes me go, ooh. Ooh, yeah, that would hurt. Ooh, I don't like that. I don't like the look of that. But I always assume, Michael, that must be utterly debilitating. And that's the, you know, I'm I'm sure if someone shoves a spike into a muscle, that muscle becomes very non-functional for a while where you're just like, oh, fuck. Adrenaline is a hell of a drug. Oh, okay. All right. It's a hell of a thing. Like, yeah, uh, like a lot of superheroes and, and movie characters do... Like shrug it off. the The problem is that they should just collapse in agony afterwards. Yeah, it's the getting stabbed that impeding them in the fight, and then after the fight, they're grand. That's what yeah. bothers me. That's what. But bo- it's the managing, aftermath. Yeah, managing to keep going during the fight with a knife in your leg. A lot of people get stabbed in fights and don't know they've been stabbed until it's over. That's true, Michael. We've all seen those mad, mad, mad. Uh, Bloody blurry videos from the internet of people in waiting rooms with big machetes in their back just being yeah. like, I thought I was fine. I thought I, w- I thought I won. 
I thought I wanted. Don't, I think you might don't have. fight someone, Ben, if they have a knife. Just I think don't. if you walk away from a machete fight with the other person out of it, and you with a machete lodging yourself, you've won. But at what cost? At what, what cost? cost? The cost of being stabbed with a large machete. Yeah, and I think I speak for everybody when I say, "Fuck that, Michael." Fuck don't that. do it. Don't um, get stabbed with a machete. We got some other interesting mentions on the Discord there, Michael. One of them being the the bus fight scene from Mister Nobody. Great scene. Um, phenomenal scene, Michael. I had to look it up for this because I never watched it and I wanted to. Um, yeah, I've missed it too. It's managed to, to sneak by me. It's a managed to elude us. It's got uh, Saul Goodman, um, whose name I cannot remember, the, the actual actor's name, which is bad. Um, oh, oh God, anyway. It's, it's right at the top of my tongue. Uh, Saul Goodman's in it and uh, he's playing it down as, look, former assassin, Michael. It's from the producers of John Wick, so I think he might be in the John Wick universe, give or take. Um I don't know, I haven't seen it. Uh, but anyway, he does a phenomenal fight scene and it's another kind of closed environment fight scene, Michael. And I think those are the ones that give us the best possibility. Do you know what I mean? Are the, the closed ones. The tension is there. The desperation is there. We, we feel, you know, that it's a little bit more of a constricted environment. Because I'll be honest, Michael, if somebody squared up to me in the street, I'd be gone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've seen I'd, it. I'd, I'd be away. I'd be across the street onto public transport. I'd be gone. I'd be gone, Michael. The only time I'd find myself in a situation I couldn't get out of, Michael, would be if there was a locked door at either end um, and I couldn't do much. And then I'd just, I'd, I'd probably just die, Michael. I'll be honest. <laughs> I'd just be like, all right, all right, whatever. It's very whatever. hard to kill a person, Ben. Uh, um, oh, sometimes surprisingly easy. But um, Bob, Bob Odenkirk is... Bob is Odenkirk. What a name, Michael. I should really right remember now. that name. Um, right but yeah, that's a phenomenal scene from from that. Um and I think we got a, a few a few suggested to us, but nothing that we them, had. Ben, if you want, I'll go through them. Go on from uh, from MB nineteen seventy five on Discord up in general chat. Uh, another vote for John Wick, but also from both him or her, I don't know actually. And Old Man Cadwell, we had um, Vader versus the corridor full of uh, rebels. Get out of here, uh, St- Stephen Cadwell. Get out of here. That is not a fight scene. Well, it's a massacre. It's a massacre. That is that is the equivalent of Native Americans versus the Gatling gun. It's oh, not. God. It's not anything you can call a fair fight. Um, but it is a very cool scene. There's a lot of badassery in those particular scenes. Um, our our old mate Guy says um, Daredevil season two hallway fight and Kill Bill the crazy eighty eight. Oh yeah, that was a classic, wasn't it, Michael? Um, Michael, I just want to come back before we finish up completely because you did mention the second scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which which I think is the soup can scene, which I think for the frenetic pacing, Michael, and the chaos that ensues, great fight scene, but probably very inaccurate. Well, quite good actually. I thought okay, quite good. Like it's one of the most convincing. No one's really taking their turns. He he has the dog with him and he manages to take one of them out quickly. So then one's unconscious, he's fighting one and the dog's attacking one. Yeah. So it's not a turn-taking fight. It's actually very well choreographed in terms of three people going against one person and finding themselves massively out of their depth. Yes. But also the the antithesis of the kind of showy egotistical scuffle he has with Bruce Lee earlier yeah um, like that was just pushing and shoving and this is for keeps 
And it's so shocking and so It's such a shocking fight scene, Michael. I will never recover from... Because I, I, I distinctly remember, Michael, being in the cinema and saying, as it was coming to the end of this film, this has been very fucking tame for a Quentin Tarantino film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now <laughs> and it's going to get horrible. Just, then he was like, Here comes the Manson gotcha. family. I fucking got you. False sense of security. Boom. Um, and Jesus Christ, Michael, the last 10 minutes of that fucking film. Yeah, he absolutely kicks the shit out of them, Ben. It's it's just great. He destroys them. He brilliant. murders them. Literally. Ab- absolutely murders the shit out of them. But they're the Manson family, so they deserved it. So they deserved it. They actually might have in this particular case. Ladies and gentlemen, did the Manson family deserve it? <laughs> you can get in touch with us in a few different places. You can find us on the interwebs at www.seomrabeog.com, S-E-O-M-R-A-B-E-A-G.com. There's only thing one worse thing. There's only one thing worse than the Manson family, Benjamin, and that's <laughs> late stage capitalism. Yeah, absolutely. Amen, baby. Late stage capitalism. Join us. For our new podcast, ladies and gentlemen, Comrades Anonymous, where we talk about all things late-stage capitalism and how you can be a better communist in your day-to-day life. Anyway, it means tiny room in Irish. It means tiny room in Irish. You can hear more, ladies and gentlemen. Or you can get in touch with us in other places. We're on the Instagram at Sherlock Podcast. That's not a conflict of interest or values there, basically. Yeah, yeah. We love the Instagram, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing capitalist about that, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you can find us on the Discord. That is the best place to get in touch with us as a pair. Um, live chitty chats. Bloody lots of contact. It's great time for everybody. Get up on Pop the Discord. up on it, Benjamin. The link is down below in the description for the listeners. Yeah, that's it from us, ladies and gentlemen. We're off to plot the downfall of the capitalist system. Bye-bye. We're just going to beat it up. We're going to beat it up and drag.